Alhamdulillahi wa kafa Wassalamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa Amma ba'd A'udhu billahi minash shaytani rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Walladhina jahadu fina Lanahdiyannahum subulana Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim One of the uh, seasons that we're currently in is this application season for college, medical school, law school, dental school, professional schools. Uh, this is the uh, time of year when students from literally all over the world, but particularly within the United States, begin to apply or the places where they would like to further their education. And this season began maybe about a month ago, maybe a little earlier, but roughly a month ago. And it continues all the way until maybe like the end of December, sometimes a little longer, but roughly the end of December. Essentially what happens is students from all over the country, they create an application for themselves that argues why they should be at a particular institution. So for example, there may be a student that has a desire to attend Harvard or undergraduate, which of course is one of the top institutions in the country. So they have a desire to attend Harvard as an undergrad, but it's not just enough to want to go to undergrad at Harvard. You have to actually have the qualifications that are necessary. So you fill out an application, you write an essay which argues your case, and then eventually they make a decision about whether to accept or to reject you. Now, you might ask a very interesting question when you think about this application season, and that is, why are people so particular about the institution that they go to? I mean, think about it for a minute. What's the difference between um, school A versus school B? Just as an example, do you really think that there's a difference in the knowledge that's transmitted at... Harvard University versus another university that may not be as well known? No, I can tell you. I'm sitting in the middle of these universities. I can tell you. Whatever they teach at Harvard is the same thing that they teach at every single other university. There's no difference in the knowledge that an undergraduate is going to have an uh, opportunity for at Harvard versus any other university in the, in the country or maybe even in the world for that matter. Do you think there is a difference in the buildings? 
at Harvard? Maybe, maybe the Harvard buildings are older, actually. Depends if you like old buildings. But uh, if you go to some universities, they're brand new. The buildings are nicer. The uh, facilities are apparently nicer. Uh, the tuition is probably a lot cheaper. So what is it? What is it about Harvard that makes Harvard Harvard? What is it about any top institution that makes that top institution reach um, its rank? And the answer isn't the buildings. And the answer even isn't the knowledge that they're teaching. The answer is the environment that they create. When you go to Harvard or any top institution, the very unique thing that you're going to gain at Harvard that you're not going to have any other place is that you are going to be able to study with a bunch of people who also qualified for Harvard. And you're going to study with a bunch of teachers who qualified to be at Harvard. By the way, you cannot just say, I want to be a professor at Harvard. It's a very difficult process to, first of all, get a job at Harvard, and it's a very difficult process to remain at Harvard, and that's the case for all major institutions in the world. So what happens, what makes Harvard Harvard is not the buildings. What makes Harvard Harvard is not the textbooks. What makes Harvard Harvard is not even the knowledge that they transmit. What makes Harvard Harvard is the environment, the people. You go to Harvard, and now you're sitting with all the other people in the country who were rigorously selected to be at Harvard. And you go to Harvard, and now you're sitting in the company of all of the teachers who were rigorously selected to be at Harvard. That environment is extremely unique. Extremely unique. And this is why you find when people go to, people who go to Harvard, you see. I mean, there's no, de there's no denying that uh, people who go to Harvard often end up in positions of power and prestige and um, pre uh, positions of knowledge and positions of responsibility. But what allows that is that environment. They... Um, they have to. They get inspired. They have to compete against one another. They are sitting in the company of uh, other, you know, scholars. Um, they're inspired to reach the the goals that the institution has set up. Set up. All of these things happen because of the environment. Now, why why am I giving you a lecture on college admissions? <laughs> I'm not talking about college admissions. I'm just trying to highlight a very simple principle, which is that it's the environment that makes those uh, opportunities unique. And it's really important for us to appreciate that because, honestly, it's the environment that is key in so many of the things that we also pursue. So much of what we hope to achieve is actually predicated on environment. And you see this, I mean, even in life. If you want to um, develop a expertise in something, the only way to develop the expertise in that thing is to sit in the company of those people who are experts. Now, you know, I find it interesting that after the people battle to get to Harvard, <clears throat> after the people battle to get to Harvard, they're not done. Like you would think, I'm done. I'm at Harvard. 
But no, after Harvard, now they're battling to get to business school. Now they're battling to get to law school. Now they're battling and competing to get to medical school or to get to some other professional school or to get some sort of fellowship or to get some sort of job opportunity. They're constantly striving and struggling to put themselves in an environment that allows them to excel. Because that's what that's how human beings achieve their goals. You have to be in an environment that inspires and allows you to be better than who you are. And honestly, you can take just an average person, so long as they desire and put them in Harvard, and they will excel, because the environment will drive them to excel. And you could put the most talented person and put them in a mundane environment, and they actually will fall, because the environment will not inspire them to achieve their maximum potential. So we should appreciate especially when we have goals in life, the importance of finding environments and putting ourselves in environments that inspire us to become who we want to become. And that essentially is, you know, in one way, you can think about it, that's one of the key summations of our whole dean. That's really um, what we're doing when we're trying to develop ourselves in our dean. I mean, if, I can even just even take you before you know, our deen, quote-unquote, our deen, and just give you a very simple example of even how the environment is essential for a person to be able to succeed in any goal, for example. Everyone knows the famous incident in which there was a man from Bani Israel who had killed 99 people. I mean, everybody knows this. It's a story that we, we're all familiar with, but maybe there's some kids or some others who maybe haven't heard it before. Very, 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 just to summarize it very quickly, there was a man, he killed 99 people. He was from Bani Israel. And all of a sudden, after killing 99 people, he began to think about the possibility of whether forgiveness uh, could be potentially attainable for him. So he went to a monk, and he asked the monk whether forgiveness was possible, and the monk said no, and so he became angry and he killed the monk. So now he's killed a hundred people, and he interestingly, despite killing a hundred people, which basically means, despite killing a hundred people, now again wants to apply for forgiveness. Now it's interesting, think about this. What's his CV? Okay, we're in application season. His application is I've got 100 murders, and I want to apply for forgiveness. Okay, it's pretty much a failure. Like any person who would have to make such a decision on such an application would essentially say rejected. He manages to find another person. He asks about forgiveness, and the person says, no, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible, but, but there's a but. It's not just uh, you're accepted. But you have to do something. What's that? You have to leave your village and you have to go to this other place where there are a bunch of people of piety. Right? So essentially what's he being told what's what what is he being told? He's being told that he has to the forgiveness is absolutely possible even though your application has 100 murders on it. Forgiveness is absolutely possible, even though your application has 100 murders on it, but it's predicated on something. It's predicated on you leaving the environment in which you were in 
and going to an environment that will inspire you to achieve the goal that you have. Now what happens? He doesn't just sit around and think. He's not philosophizing. That, oh, this is a very interesting point this person made. Let me keep thinking and let me make a decision. SubhanAllah, he immediately addresses the issue. He immediately addresses the issue. So what does he do? He, begin, he leaves his old place and he begins to head in the direction of the place where he, was, where he could achieve his goal. He's, a, he's heading to his Harvard, his spiritual Harvard. All right? So what happens? On the way, subhanAllah, on the way, literally roughly halfway, he passes away. He passes away. And now the angels begin to quarrel amongst themselves. One group of angels says, this is a murderer of a hundred people. He's ours. And they want to take him to his punishment. Another group of angels says, this person was one who was seeking Allah's forgiveness. Doesn't matter what he did in the past, he's ours. And they want to take him to Jannah. Now, while they're actually quarreling with one another, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shortens the distance from, he was halfway correct, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shortens the distance that he's heading towards and slightly lengthens the distance that he left from such that he becomes just a small measure towards the city of goodness. Just a footstep, just a footstep, just, you know, just to highlight, just a footstep. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the angels, measure. Measure. This, this application, this application is now going to, is going to fall, is going to, what's going to determine its success or failure is going to be the distance from city A versus the distance from city B. Meaning, if he's closer to the city of good, then he will be forgiven. And if he's closer to his home, then he will not. And of course, out of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is closer to the city of goodness, so he enters into Jannah. Now, this hadith is often mentioned as an example of Allah's mercy. And it is an extreme example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And it should create hope within every single one of us. That if a person who committed a hundred murders, I mean, that's serial, serial murderer. I mean, you think about like some of the worst people in society, serial murderer. This is one of the worst, worst people in all of humanity. Serial murderer. But still, despite that much sin, despite that much evil, despite that low standing, that such a person can still attain Allah's mercy. So, of course, that is a common theme. We all are aware of that. We all hear that. And that's certainly the key mes- one of the key messages, right? That at any point, at any time, any of us, no matter what mistake we've made, we should always be cognizant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can forgive and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires to forgive if we approach him. So this, you know, number one message should always be in our minds. But... There's another message here. And that message is environment matters. 
Because notice the advice that was given to him, and then notice what the final criteria was in order for the application for Jannah to be accepted. The ad- advice was, number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can forgive anything. So you should never give up hope in Allah's mercy. But number two, in order to attract that mercy at this particular juncture of your life, given all of the things that you've done, you need to leave the place, the environment. You need to leave the environment that you were in. And you need to move to an environment that will allow you to become who you want to be. So you're also learning that environment matters. Environment is a huge factor in determining what any person will become. Meaning, let's put it this way, a serial murderer has the potential to become a person of piety. You're going from extreme to extreme, right? A serial murderer has the potential to become a person of piety, but it's predicated on environment. You can't do it in the environment in which you were already in. You have to leave the environment in which you were in, no matter how much you desire to change, no matter how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy will envelop you. You have to change the environment in order to succeed. So that's the message that's being delivered to this individual, and that, in fact, becomes the criterion upon which he enters Jannah. Otherwise, what was the benefit of measuring He clearly wanted to seek Allah's forgiveness. And in fact, he had taken the first step. He had taken the first step. And in fact, in the narration, it's mentioned that as he was dying, he turned his chest to the city to which he was headed. So his qibla was there. His focus was there. His attention was there. But in the end, the message that we're being given by this whole sequence of the angels coming about and disagreeing with one another and then eventually measuring to determine where he actually ended up was which environment was he actually in the environment was what's going to also make a difference for him. So we should appreciate, and it's very, very common. I mean, everybody in society knows you go to work at a great company not because the company is anything special. It's the environment. It's the people that makes a company. You go to a major institution, it's the people that make the institution. The, uh, you know, a football team doesn't win games because they're a football team. It's the people that make up the team. The name is something else. The stadium is something else. The... Everything else is secondary. What's primary is the people, the coaches and the players. So in anything that we ever want to achieve, environment matters. And when we think about that in the context of our deen, it only becomes that much more important. If we really want, look, if I ever find myself struggling in anything, particularly in my deen, but let's just say any factor of my deen, then I need to be particular about the environment. I need to locate seek and search for that environment and I need to put myself in the environment of other people who are also trying to achieve the goal that I am achieving or who have already achieved the goal that I'm trying to achieve. If a person wants knowledge of Dean, knowledge of Dean doesn't come from the internet. You sit around and watch YouTube videos all day and that somehow makes a person knowledgeable. Knowledge of Dean doesn't come from uh, you know, just reading a bunch of books Knowledge of deen comes from sitting with people of knowledge. And honestly, you may not necessarily gain every little tidbit of knowledge, but you'll actually gain the essence of what knowledge is by sitting in the company of those people.
a person wants to become spiritual, you know, spirituality doesn't just come because a person wishes or hopes that they would become more spiritual, or a person feels like, I need to be spiritual, so I'm going to go to Barnes and Nobles and I'm going to read books in the section on spirituality. A person becomes spiritual when they sit in the company of individuals who are also seeking or who have progressed along that path of spirituality. Because again, the environment is what matters. What makes Sahaba Sahaba is the environment. Sahaba did a lot of things. They were at the extreme of great character. They were at the extreme of sacrifice. They were at the extreme of donating for causes. They were at the extreme of uh, brotherhood. They were at the extreme of bonding. They were at the extreme of uh, commitment to, to what they had uh, um, uh, you know, aimed to achieve. But what makes Sahaba Sahaba is actually the company, the environment that they kept. Because I could go out and do actions similar to what the companions did, but that would obviously never make any of us a companion. And there were some companions who didn't necessarily do any of the actions that we do. For example, they may not have even offered a prayer, but they still achieved the state and status of companion because of the environment that they were in. Meaning, what defines a companion is the fact that they kept the company of the Prophet any individual in a state of iman who kept the company of the Prophet ﷺ becomes a companion. Even if they just saw the Prophet ﷺ, they, they reached that status of companion because of the spiritual power of the Prophet ﷺ. But again, what is that highlighting for us? It's highlighting that it's, everything is predicated on environment. Everything is predicated on environment. There are two steps to success in life. The first is to appreciate that I need something. And the second is to put myself in the environment where I can achieve it. These are the two simple characteristics. Number one, you have to want something. I'm not talking about that today, but you have to, if you don't desire it, it's over. It's interesting, I, I say this all the time to so many different people in so many different domains. You know, if two people come to you, two people come to you and they are having marital problems and they both want to change, you can solve the problem. But if, two, if one person comes and says we're having marital problems, but the other doesn't want to engage the conversation, you cannot change. You cannot change. And you, know, you learn this through experience. You learn this from so many other domains. And it's interesting, even the psychologists, they mention this. I've heard this from so many different... If you study persuasion, just like a separately it's its own science, how do you persuade someone? They say the only thing you have to do is convince them that they need something. Once you convince them that they need something, they'll drive themselves to go get it. You don't need to pick up their hand and put it there. You just need to convince them that they need this. If you can convince somebody that they need this toothbrush, they'll get in their car and go to Target and buy the toothbrush. You don't have to deliver it to them. You just have to somehow convince them that they need this particular toothbrush. This is what's called persuasion. How do you persuade someone that they actually need something? And then they'll put themselves in that environment. So it's not enough to just need something. To, sorry, it's not enough to just desire something or to want something or to recognize that we need something. You have to take one more step. It's not only sufficient to say that I killed 100 people, I want Allah's forgiveness. Sure, that's the first step. That's the most important step. That's the defining step. Without that, there's no hope. You'll kill the 101st person. But then beyond that, You've got to take a footstep in that direction. 
You have to decide that not only do I want this, but I'm actually going to put myself in the environment that's conducive to this. So these two responsibilities fall upon all of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with an appreciation of the things that are important in life. Then it's our responsibility to also put ourselves in the environments that are important. And by the way, we don't only have a responsibility of putting ourselves in those environments, but we also have a responsibility of perpetuating those environments. Because if we help to maintain those environments, that's what's going to save the next generation. So we have two things. Number one, to create desire. That's a separate conversation. We're not having that today. Number one, to create desire. And number two, to recognize that that desire doesn't just magically change into some success. You can't just wish that I was a good football player. You have to go out and work out. You have to strive, struggle, go put yourself in a, the next challenging circumstance. You can't just wish that you, you can't just say, I, I want to be spiritual. I want to develop in my deen. I want knowledge of my deen. You have to go, seek, put yourself in the environment. And that's what defines those people. I mean, think about it. When you, you know, student, when you want to call a student a student, they call them a talib because they're seeking, right? That's the foundation of that. And the person who's seeking spirituality, they call them a murid. Murid basically just means the one who wants, the one who desires. But again, it's a foundational feature of who they are. But you've got to put yourself in the environment. So all of us are in the same boat. It's not enough to say, you know, I, I, I wish I could read Quran better. No, you have to take one more step. Just then you have to go and say, okay, if I really want to read Quran better, then maybe I need to go and seek an opportunity, uh, whether in a community or with a local reciter or even in an online reciter. That's what will determine whether I succeed or fail. It's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I have a desire to improve the recitation of my Quran, but I also need to then take a step in that direction. And that's what then will result in success. If I want to become more spiritual or I find myself lacking in my spirituality or I find myself empty at times and I desire to, to plug that hole, subhanAllah, amazing, great blessing of Allah. We should be forever grateful that we even care because a sign of spiritual death is that the, you don't even care. And the vast majority of humanity is basically spiritually just floating like bodies on a sea. So it's a great blessing if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala awakens us to this. But we still have to take one additional step, which is that we need to seek out the gatherings. We need to be consistent in the gatherings. We need to create and contain and maintain and preserve ourselves within the environments that allow us to be able to achieve that goal. And that's what allows us to be able to attain our ultimate success. Anyway, it's just a very simple message for today. And that is that whenever we want to achieve anything, we should seek the best environments in which to achieve that. And if we do so, everything else is downhill. It's not, it's not hard, like I said before, uh, regarding relationships. If somebody wants something, and they're willing to put themselves in the environment where they can attain it, everything else is downhill. Everything else is downhill. It's hard to convince people that they're missing something. It's hard to convince people, even after they're missing something, that they need to get off the couch and that they need to go and put themselves in the environment to gain the thing that they're looking for. So just to point them in the right direction of where they can find it. But once they do those two things, everything else is easy. It's not hard to do well at Harvard. Like, I, I have this in my work as well. 
uh, we, we, we teach all these, you know, the medical school that I teach at, it's one of the top medical schools, it's super selective, super, super selective. And sometimes we have these meetings, and at the end of the meetings, you know, we say, wow, we did, you know, we did so good, we taught them, and look at how good their scores are. And I'm always the one that pops the balloon. I say, you know what, I would be a little hesitant to make that conclusion. Why? Why can't we conclude that? Because I bet you, if you just took all these kids and just told them to study at all, but you put them all in the university, but you gave them the environment and you let them do it themselves, they would do it themselves. I don't know if we added anything. Because they were already brilliant to begin with. You just needed a little bit of environment. They needed to just be together and have a little bit of a syllabus and be a little inspired, and they would have done the rest anyway. So I really wonder how much of a contribution did I make. Yeah, the contribution I made is that I'm hoping to form the environment. But I don't know how much contribution I directly made to that one individual class of students because they probably would have done it on their own. So anyway, just a very, 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 very simple message, which is that uh, we should seek the environments that will allow us to be able to achieve our goals. And if we seek those environments, inshallah, we'll be able to excel in our deen, and inshallah, we'll be able to excel in our dunya. Wa akhura ta'wana, and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.